0: Hi, Richie! Hi, Sin. Hi, everyone! Today, we have a very special guest on a very special podcast.
1: Oh my god, who is it? Ha-ha! <laughs>
2: Ha-ha!
0: This is me trying to do a crow. <laughs> Please introduce yourself, special guest!
3: Hi, it's me, Dolly's dark Side. witch on the internet and self-proclaimed know-it-all. Woo! That's all I got.
0: Richie, clap.
3: Aww. Oh, Only stop, two?
1: But don't stop.
0: <laughs> Richie, you can give more than two.
1: No, I did more than two. I think the sound cut out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, Richie. All right. Bully. Bully. <laughs>
0: Can you tell a little about yourself?
3: Oh, yes, I can. It's my favorite subject. (laughs) So I am a practicing witch and, you know, I like to study the occult and stuff as well as an avid video gamer. And like I said, I'm a bit of a know-it-all, so I like to study particular subjects. And I have uh, an invested interest in crows and ravens because I think they're great.
0: Thank you. And is there anywhere where people can find you? Social media?
3: Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Dahlia's on Twitter, and that's that's kind of it. And Dahlia's DarkSide on YouTube, but there's nothing on there at the moment except for some old gameplay videos.
0: Could you tell a little bit about your experience with Soulsborne, how you got into it, and uh, your interest in Souls in general?
3: Absolutely. So, oh gosh, I have to think about this for a second. Um, Well, my first Souls game, I actually was one of those people that kind of got tricked into playing a a Soulsborne game. Uh, Because I remember when the first one came out and Demon Souls came out, the only thing I really knew about them is that they were really hard. And that was always kind of off-putting to me, because I wasn't necessarily a casual gamer, but I was also not really in it for, like, some hardcore challenge. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: But then this little game called Bloodborne came out, and it was dripping with Victorian Gothic aesthetic, with a wonderful twist of eldritch horrors. And I remember I did not do well uh, starting that game. Um, I got it a little bit after release, so luckily I never had to deal with the loading screen that just you know, burned Bloodborne into your TV or anything. Um, It was a little bit after that. But I was, I remember just getting absolutely decimated in that main, you know, running down the main street trying to get to that, you know, the first uh, courtyard where that cleric beast or whatever it was, was on fire. Mm -hmm. And I just remember getting so frustrated, but I just loved the aesthetic of this game and wanted to know more about what was going on that I kept going and eventually I got good at it. And I found a fantastic community. And then after beating Bloodborne, I was like, well, now I want more. <laughs> so I then proceeded to get uh, what was a new release at the time, was the Scholar of the First Sin, because I had just gotten a PS4.
0: Scholar of the First Me.
3: Yes, <laughs> Scholar of the First Sinclair.
0: Thank you.
3: Um, so I played that, and that was really cool. So that was technically my first Dark Souls was... Dark Souls 2, Scholar of the First Sin, which is an interesting mm-hmm. place to come in at, for sure. Mm-hmm. And then I played Dark Souls 1, loved it, and then Dark Souls 3, and the rest is history.
0: Whoa! Amazing.
3: Mm.
1: I try.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and you and Rich actually know each other from way back when.
1: Yeah, from Aegon's channel. Yes, we did. We met on
3: Aegon's channel. Uh, I was oh. very much and still do love his lore runs and stuff like that. Yeah, I love, I love that. You know how in depth he went. Mm-hmm. It was very cool. It always felt like I was sitting in like a university lecture, and it was the first time I'd ever really seen someone put that much um, insight or like really went and like gave it an academic, you know, combing over of material. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, from there. I met Richie, or as I knew right. him back then, JSF, <laughs> and uh, his fantastic video series and stuff like that. And uh, I found this whole fantastic community of people that you know, were extremely intelligent and were able to do what I think academia has kind of had a blind spot for, and that was kind of giving... Their ability to, through an academic eye, analyze these games in a way that you would in academia generally. And I do think that academia should pay a little bit more attention to some video games. I mean, obviously not all Mm. of them deserve it, but, you know, we analyze literature and film and music and stuff like that. And I think uh, there are a lot of video games that would benefit from that. And I think there's a lot that we can glean from it. So it was very cool to find people who were doing that. And that's how I met Richie. Oh,
2: yeah.
0: Awesome, thank you. And Dahlia, today you're here to teach us about... (laughs)
3: The lovely world of ravens and crows and their, you know, symbolism. Mm
0: -hmm. Awesome.
3: Mostly in the real world, but I do have a little bit of, like, it'll be off the top of my head, but I also do know a little bit of their relation to the Soulsborne series as a whole.
2: Um, Mm -hmm. But
0: yeah. Hmm. Excellent. And we actually did an episode on a crow recently. It was very popular.
1: Oh god, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Richie, do you wanna tell us about it?
1: Well, for some reason, the um the episode on the Carrion Crow which is <laughs> just, just this like recurring enemy in Bloodborne <laughs> that we just recorded off the cuff. <laughs> Ended up with twice as many views as the incredibly in-depth, like, (laughs) four-hour exploration of map files that took me, like, a week to set up. (laughs) So I I don't know what anyone wants anymore.
3: (laughs) The internet cannot be predicted. It is just, uh, it's like Aldrich, it just keeps devouring whatever it feels like. (laughs) That's
0: a beautiful way of putting it. The internet is Aldrich.
3: Look out for the internet on Taco Tuesdays. It's not pretty.
0: (laughs) Thank you. So, Dahlia,
3: tell us a bit about crows. Um, Crows and ravens are a very common creature. They're found most of the world. And it is quite interesting that you will find through looking up at them that they are involved in a vast majority of the world's religions. And they often have very um, conflicting sort of origins is what they mean. Sometimes they're seen as, like, uh, specters of wisdom or being from the spirit world or even being deities themselves. And then other times, you know, a crow shows up or a raven shows up and you, you know, you hide your children, you hide your kids, hide your wife. (laughs) And, um, you know, I have some notes on, like, very specific cultures, but, you know... For the fact that they are very intelligent animals, Uh, they have some of the largest ratio of brain to skull size. They are very, very intelligent. They are able to plan ahead and Mm. sort of organize a plan before they do something. As well as being able to, yes, they uh, will regularly, you know, they will always have like a plan of action. They also have great memories. So if you ever do something to a crow or a raven, they will remember you for a very Mm. long time (laughs) and they will tell their friends about you and not only will the original crow dive bomb you and come after you, but so will its friends.
2: Oh my god.
1: And if you're nice to crows, they also tell their friends and you start waking up in the morning and there's half a dozen (laughs) crows outside waiting for you. Which is what's happened to me.
3: (laughs) I wish I had that problem so bad. I don't think you understand how much I want that. I want what you have.
1: I'll tell them about you. They can take a trip to <laughs> Michigan.
3: You know, come come stay for the summer. You'll love it. It'll be great.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and uh, like Richie said, they also are very, you know, they can be quite nice, too. And so if you're kind to them, they will often bring you things, which sometimes it begs the question of where they got it in the first place.
2: <laughs> mm
3: which is you know it's always interesting to know that you've got a flock of you know a murder of crows robbing people which is i am kind of here for that i want an army of crows robbing people for me (laughs) um legally i didn't just say that but off the record (laughs) (laughs) and they also are extremely good at mimicking human speech which if you go online um you know search on youtube you can find uh, quite a bit of crows um using some expletives on people that are quite viral uh, <laughs> fantastic little creatures hmm. and um because of this they have of course become associated with wisdom and things like that and i can get more into specific cultures and stuff like that but generally their high intelligence their ability to plan i mean even if another crow dies Um, Some people call it funerals, but it's more apt to say that crows and ravens hold autopsies to, uh, I mean, it's not quite an autopsy like we think of it. But they will Mm -hmm. observe a dead crow or raven to try and figure out what killed them so they can avoid danger later on. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And uh, a little bit more of a darker aspect of them, too, is that if a crow or raven uh, in their community is hurt quite a bit, They have a tendency of doing a mercy killing, so that way they aren't a threat to the rest of the birds and to kind of put them out of their misery. So they are very uh, methodical animals. It's even been said that they're about on the same intellectual level as dogs. But honestly, I think crows and ravens are a little bit smarter than that because I've never really, I mean, I've never seen too many pack dogs, but Mm -hmm. I've never really known dogs to hold autopsies. So, you know. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I <laughs> just imagined a dog in a lab coat with glasses. <laughs>
3: I'm uh, I'm using the scalpel here. We're opening yeah. the chest cavity. <laughs> oh. Runs off of the rib cage. <laughs> Damn it! You're a
2: doctor. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Uh-huh.
1: So you mentioned that crows are a very common uh, motif in different mythologies. Would you like to talk about that?
3: Absolutely, Richie. I would love to. (laughs) So, you know, as I said, they appear in numerous cultures, and they are often believed to have viewed as possessing some sort of paranormal or pre-natural ability. Sorry, I couldn't say that. Which date all the way back to antiquity as far back as in Greece mythology, uh, their powers were seen as, you know, they were, ravens were seen as companions of Apollo, the god of the sun, you know, the god of truth and prophecies. And it was often believed that they were seen as being able, you were able to divine the future with ravens. And, you know, their ability to mimic was quite the spectacle and whatnot. And humans, because of this, believed that Their specific vocalizations and the way they fly were able to divine the future from it. And this form of divination was called augury, which, you know, you try and get omens and uh, prophecies from the directions that birds come from. or Well, yeah, birds particularly, but ravens specifically. Mm -hmm. So if a raven was to say to fly in from the east or the south, it was seen as like a favorable omen. and Even as far back as the Romans, as well, I mean, the Romans were after Greek. I don't know why I wrote it like that, but um, (laughs) they were known for their high intellect. There was even once a, there was a tale of a raven that would appear every morning to salute Emperor Tiberius in the forum every day. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, going on to Norse mythology, we have the famous Odin, who is always accompanied by his ravens, uh, who were... uh, Mugen and Mugen and Ogden. I'm pretty sure I messed up the first one, but one of them was named Mugen. I know that for sure. Cool. Which their names uh, translated to thought and memory respectively. So even in ancient cultures, they were able to recognize that these creatures were extremely intelligent.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. And more specifically to my continent, uh, the Inuit cultures, which... Inuit Native American, it is a little bit difficult because different tribes and groups had different beliefs. But in some Inuit cultures, the raven was seen as the principal deity, you know, the father of all creation and was called, you know, aptly the raven father. And in their legend, it was said that the raven was born out of darkness, weak and lost. And then through living in the real world, it was able to understand that it was the creator of all these things. And thus taught humans how to survive in this world. And because of it, you know, it created humanity. It allowed humans to survive in the harsh wilds by teaching them all the things that it learned.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: As well as in Welsh. Now we're moving off to Welsh. I'm kind of all over the place with this, so you have to excuse me. But with. Welsh mythology slash history, you know, you had Brand the blessed uh, high king. And of course, Brand in Welsh means raven,
2: which, you know, mm.
3: is somewhat related to early versions of Eileen the Crow, who was referred to yeah. as Brandon the Bloody Crow. Mm. Yeah. And of course, this king was a hero figure of wisdom, so much so that ravens were said to, after his death, would protect all of England and would protect her from future harm and whatnot and this you know the place where it was where his head was laid to rest which was eventually the tower of london so ravens have always been associated with the tower of london and the belief that they were protectors of england and britain goes all the way up to i believe world war ii world war One or world war Two, mm-hmm. and they took it very seriously at maintaining the Tower of London and not letting it fall to any sort of attacks. And there were about seven ravens that lived as the guardians of the Tower. And they, uh, you know, were seen very important, and eventually a certain amount of them ended up dying after the war, and there was only about two of them left. And eventually one of them fled and out of loneliness, the last one fled. And of course, a lot of people saw this as it was very worrying for England because they had put a lot of uh, symbolic significance on these ravens. And um, they eventually did uh, put more ravens in the Tower of London, but they clipped their wings so they didn't have this
2: problem again. Yeah. So they're also seen as guardian figures. And then once again, moving uh, like
3: I said, I'm all over the place with this, so I apologize. But in Native American culture, again, it is uh, to specific tribes, there is a bit of a confliction as to which tribes believed which. Um, some of them believed that it was uh, the ravens were a keeper of secrets. That they carried messages and prayers to the spirits, and that only the very few chosen were worthy to know their secrets. But this association with death in the afterlife is what led some other tribes to see them as omens and to view them in a disparaging way. It was seen as uh, sometimes a sort of stealer of souls. If a raven called out by your house, you would generally believe that it meant that somebody like you or your family was going to die. <laughs> and there are multiple reasons for this, but eventually the narrative of ravens and crows being seen as a negative light started to take hold. Particularly when in some cultures where the heritage is not written down in uh, you know, where the the stories, the tales, the myth and the legends are not kept in a book of some form. Like particularly in Celtic mythology, a lot of the myths of the goddess the Morgan who is often portrayed as taking the form of a raven or a crow. Um, she was uh, particularly, and this kind of relates to Valka in a certain degree, um, which we'll get into later, but she was a goddess of war, sovereignty, a, a fortune of magic, of all these things. She was a very, she was a goddess of many things. And uh, one of her more famous tales was that she appeared as a raven, and she is the one that told the Celtic, uh, Pantheon, the they, the, I can't say the name. It's 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 Celtic. Okay, it's hard to say. <laughs> um, Celtic is a interesting language. Um, the de Donan, I think, is what they're called. Yeah, um, yeah. They, you know, received their end of the world prophecy from the Morrigan herself after a great war that was not dissimilar from the war between the Titans and the Olympians. A very, you know, common motif in uh, mythologies and religions of the world. So that's present in Celtic mythology as well. And so you have that and all these tales. And now she was viewed much more well-rounded. You know, she was a goddess of war. She was a goddess of life, of death, of sovereignty, of magic, of, you know, secrets, of wisdom. And uh, so she was very well-rounded to the Celtic culture themselves. However. When, you know, they were, they told their heritage and their legends orally. So these are not written down. We don't have written accounts of this. So after a couple centuries, once Catholic monks started trying to catalog and keep track of these legends, they saw a female figure who is of immense power that had domain over what was traditionally viewed as masculine and male sort of uh schools of you know divinity like she was a goddess of war you know and not mm-hmm. just like war in the sense of like athena was like she was like the war goddess yeah and she was the goddess of sovereignty and royalty and this you know naturally some male catholic monks are going to be a little bit threatened by that
2: <laughs>
3: so as you can imagine they did not write her in a particularly favorable light and now, this is not based on any specifics, because obviously, you know, it's hard to tell the specific origins of certain, uh, you know, opinions of the ways we see animals, because I do think it is a little bit more complicated. But I do think a contributing factor is, of course, the fact that some Native American cultures had tales of ravens being sort of a bad omen, but also their general relation as carrion birds. They feast on dead carcasses.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: With relations to the death and the underworld. You know, that also contributed to the fact that they started getting a very negative connotation, but also, you know, she was this goddess, you know, who was often seen as, like, a raven queen and stuff like that. And they very much changed her tale and pigeonholed her just into this idea that she was just this vengeful, angry woman, and she was just a witch and a deceiver and all these things. And uh, some believe that she was the eventual... Uh, Inspiration from Morgan Le Fay, but I have heard that there's it's a bit of conflicting stuff going on there. So I don't know if that's entirely true, but there are certain similarities, and mm-hmm. um, they definitely bastardized her image and her appearance. And of course, you know, the fact she was associated with crows would just continue to further on that there was a negative perception. And so now we're to the modern era where. Most people see a raven as a bad omen when, in fact, they are just lovely creatures that are extremely intelligent and they are deserving of love, just like anyone else. Mm -hmm. But that is an extremely brief and not super concise summary of just a few examples of raven mythology throughout the history. Mm -hmm. You know, and now we can get into some Soulsborn where things get a little bit
2: juicier.
1: I can give you the Australian Crow myth if you want.
2: Ooh, go ahead.:
1: So the Australian obviously it's different because we have so many different language groups, but um, the from where I am, the crow myth is that the crow is the thing that brought fire to people, like Prometheus it It picked up a burning coal and brought it to humans, and that's where fire comes from.
0: You mean crometheus. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That also feels extremely on brand for crow, like oh, this is hot. Here you have it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I can't cover all of the cultures, or we'd be here for a very long yeah. time. And I'm mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because they're, they're be-
1: a bird that's just everywhere. Yeah, yeah,
3: they they're truly fantastic and wonderful creatures.
1: Yeah, they're because they're so smart. They're very very adaptable, so they can just basically live anywhere because they know how to hunt for food and things.
3: Right, and they can yeah. fully take advantage and even their age group structures is extremely interesting because uh often teenage crows tend to be a bit more troublemakers and they like to gather in little gangs of each other which uh i believe the term for a group of ravens i know one of them is a conspiracy unkindness. yeah conspiracy and an unkindness thank you that was the other one um those tend to be adolescent crows whereas uh, adult crows tend to mate, and they're a crow that stays with their mates, and they just kind of move in groups of two. So if you see uh, an unkindness of of ravens or crows, you know, um, be wary, because they are teenagers, and like any group of teenagers, well, you can imagine how that'll go for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> see, here we have so many just, like, obnoxious shithead parrots, that. But- <laughs> Crows are just like such a relief. It's like, oh god, you're so placid. <laughs> so, you get these just huge flocks of parrots that just like land on the roof and throw things at you all day.
3: Those are the ones that have the like the, the blonde yeah. flu.
1: Yeah, god, they're annoying. was <laughs> like, oh, it's beautiful because you look out the window and there's parrots. And it's like, yeah, but they're just, they're just shitheads. Like, just, <laughs> they just throw walnuts at you all day.
3: They're the frat bros of the... Uh,
1: yeah, they um, are. And they live to like 80, so I know every single year it's the same one.
3: <laughs> uh, they're on their yearly summer break.
1: Yeah. Just get up yeah. and look out the window and it's the same parrot from last year and he's like, "Yes, yeah, surprise <laughs> motherfucker. I'm back.
3: Bet you thought you saw the last... You're
1: not getting any time. sleep tonight. I'm gonna throw walnuts <laughs> at your room because I have anything else to do.
3: I had the PBR. and ravens are much 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 better dressers
1: can you explain the the difference between a raven and a crow or is there not one
3: um i there are some differences of course it's in size but i can't i don't know the specifics of it but of course size is a factor and i there are some differences uh, specifically in vocalizations crows and ravens have a distinctive difference i mean they're kind of similar and if you don't hear them together you might conflate the two but they do have a very distinct sound uh crows tend to be a little bit more abrasive whereas ravens are a little bit more moody they really set the mood of being in a cemetery but i couldn't tell you the specific biological differences which is probably something i should have looked into but sadly i did not but i do know that they have a surprisingly i mean they're a rather large family of birds corvids in general which is their family distinction you've got ravens crows magpies and blue jays which are um here in the states they're not the friendliest birds but i've never had a problem with them but every time i bring it up people are like blue jays are assholes and i'm like okay guess." <laughs> like i've never had a problem with one but it's a ubiquitous uh, reputation i guess
1: <laughs>
3: i just think they're pretty
1: Magpies are even more, like, tame around people than crows are, to the point where I know people where magpies will go up to the door in the morning and knock on it, asking for food. They just sit there and peck the door until it's opened, and then they just want food.
2: It's
3: adorable. I love them so much. Yeah. Which is why their are dubious reputation, I think. I mean, I guess if you're an asshole for them, I guess you would believe that they were, you know, the spawn of Satan, but I get the feeling the people that were like, oh, this evil crow tried to attack me. It's probably because you did something.
2: <laughs> I mean,
3: like any animals, they can be territorial, but I get the feeling there's a reason that crow didn't like you, sir. <laughs> they're just jealous because they can't have those lovely, lovely feathers. True. True. Legit. They're just Lovely, fantastic creatures, although I will say the souls uh, the Souls universe has some very interesting takes on a crow or corvid in general. yeah, very, very interesting appearances. Some of them are looking pretty rough,
0: <laughs> so Dahlia, tell us about the souls crows.
3: Well, my particular area of expertise, kind of, falls more into the Bloodborne specific, uh, not the Carrion Grows. I mean, there is that really sweet one that I like to sit with after
2: Yeah. Its friends attack me. Which
3: is a very interesting. Um, did we ever find out if that was a bug or an intentional bug?
1: It's a bug, reason?
3: yeah. Oh, okay. They well, just, it like it.
1: It's AI is accidentally left blank. Eh, okay. It's a feature now.
0: Yeah. Richie, you don't know, maybe it's AI evolved and it just erased all negativity and it doesn't want to attack you.
1: That's possible, yeah. yes. There yes.
3: It has eyes on the
1: inside. <laughs> yes. well, it probably does. It's like eating them.
2: <laughs> stomach. That's
3: true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's very, very true. Um, and I mean it it makes sense, particularly for the gothic Victorian setting that Carrie and Carrie yeah. are present, especially uh, those specific crows. Um, Because they show up in a couple of other places. I believe that area is their largest concentration, I think. Mm
1: -hmm. It'd it'd be the largest number in the smallest area, I think. Yeah. There's a lot in the the research hall's bell tower. They're, like, nesting in there. Yeah.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. they're doing bird shit. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I always forget about those ones. This doesn't always jump scare me and I fall, <laughs> anyways. Um, and of course, it's very fitting that uh, Carrion Bird is in Hemwick, yeah. So it's in Hemwick, which I mean, uh, Charnel Lane isn't quite a thing, but I think it's just a, a way of indicating that there's a lot of charnel houses here, there's a lot of dead people here. So,
1: of course, crows, yeah, and the, the witches, um. Like, scoop thing is shaped like a crow's beak. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They're very
3: uh, peak theming in Hemwick. It's a very yeah. lovely place if you're into that sort of thing. And I am into that sort of thing. Perfect summer <laughs> getaway. Come to Hemwick <laughs> Channel Lane. It'll be great.
0: Hello.
3: Um And, of course, you have the, you know, the Hunter of Hunters, which have a specific motif of wearing uh, crow gear and i think it is very interesting that the hunter of hunters and you know this is not particularly based on anything um because i do think if they're associating the crows with anything it would probably be the sky burial which yes yeah. t- t- tibetan sky burials are not traditionally done with crows um they're actually done with vultures but Vultures and crows are both carrions, and uh, of course, a raven and a crow motif does fit much more uh, neatly into the world of Bloodborne than, say, a you know, a vulture. And um, but I do think it is interesting that the hunter of hunters, who eliminates the mad and blood-drunk hunters, are of course crows. And this might be coincidental; maybe it's not. But the fact that other crows, when like I said earlier, when another crow or raven is hurt, often they will be mercy killed by their fellow crows, so that way they don't uh, threaten the flock or the or another crow or raven or mm. you know alert them to predators and whatnot. So I do think that's a very interesting connection, intentional or otherwise.
1: Yeah, I think a big part of it too is just that plague doctor mask that they're wearing. They probably just went from that and built. A whole crow sort of get up from the mask. Yeah.
3: Yeah, because uh, plague doctors do, um, they do get, there's definitely some similarities, but it's not exactly a crow skull. But of course, when you have it with the feathers and you have a character called Eileen the Crow, it, it,
2: you know, Mm. it fits very well. Yeah. It's also a very, very nice aesthetic. It's lovely. Mm. And uh, as for,
3: now I recall the ones in the painted world. Because um, as far as I can tell, are they ever specifically stated as crows, or are they just kind of a carrion creature?
1: Yeah, I think they're called the crow the crow people of Velka.
3: Okay. Um, which I think that particular appearance... Um, I mean, obviously there's some interesting kind of details going on. Cause I do think some of it is pretty, it's pretty surface level in that. I mean, obviously there's deeper things to a lot of the stuff in bloodborne and, you know, the souls born and everything. Um, but crows, you know, decay, they eat decay. So they're in this decaying world and you have all these crows that are sort of vigorously trying to perpetuate the, you know, the decay of the world because that's what they feed on. um, I do think there is a little bit more depth to them in the painting of uh, Ariamis than in Ariandel because one, this is a secret world, you know this painting is never supposed to really be found, and they do have a distinct connection to Valka. and with Velka I almost immediately sort of recognize that there are some thematic similarities between her and the goddess of the Morrigan yeah. and, yeah. you know, she's a and I wouldn't necessarily call the Morrigan a goddess of law, but it's sort of like, if you wrong her, she will get you back, you know? And she will give you chances to right your wrong, but if you don't, she's going to come after you, and there's nothing you can really do to stop her. And so the idea of Valka being this dark goddess who is associated with all these crows in this very secretive world, which, you know, calls back to the fact that ravens and crows are often seen as... Uh, agents of wisdom and secrets and knowing things of the afterworld, you know, the afterlife. So it's very, it makes sense. And I mean, has always kind of been a bit of a an enigma in the souls porn universe. Well, yeah. the Souls universe. Because um, we never, you know, people always really want her to be explained, but they never really did, which I think is much more interesting. And I mean, I feel like part of her importance was maybe a little bit more inflated by the fans less than her implications in the series itself if that makes sense because she's she's kind of involved. she's got her hands in a lot of pots, but it's never it's never as overt her involvement as like it is with like Gwen and uh, all of them and like all the stuff that goes on because in a weird way, you know the lords and stuff they don't feel much like gods in a certain way. I mean, they kind of are, but they aren't you know, in a weird way. Whereas, like, Velka and some of the other deities that I can't think of off the top of my head, they feel like true gods because we never see them. Yeah. And they kind of have an influence on everything. But they've got this, like, you know, omnipresence where they're involved in multiple cultures as well as being, like, she's the goddess of law and order, you know, which was very heavily implemented in the first Dark Souls game with, like, the the, uh, the you know, the invasion system and all that which um, Richie could probably explain that better because, I mean, I kind of get it, but I never fully understood how that worked. It was always kind of confusing. And uh, I didn't really get to play Dark Souls during its prime. Um, And then Remastered happened, but also, like, it wasn't, it's not the same as, like, when Mm. Dark Souls was brand new and everyone was playing it. So I never really got a good grasp on that whole system. But there are clear parallels. She's kind of considered a dark goddess. She's kind of hidden away. she's not really good. She's not really evil. She kind of plays the medium and she's, you know, she always seems to be connected to things that are going on deeper than like the surface conflict or whatever, you know, like she's involved with the occult rebellion of Lord Gwen, but like, it just seems like she's not super concerned with whatever the hell is going on anywhere, particularly she's, you know, kind of everywhere. So, you know there are definitely parallels. I mean, I not enough for me to say that she was definitively inspired by the Morgan, but I would not be surprised if they didn't take some inspiration from her, especially with her inspiration with the crows and all that.
0: Thank you, Dahlia.
1: So we talked about Canehurst. Uh, we talked about Hemwick having this crow motif going on with the witches using the crow thing to pull the eyes out, and that's that's something that crows are. Associated with because when when they're eating carrion, the eyes are like the first things that they sort of go for. Is that right?
2: So
3: juicy, juicy. It was a nice kyanty.
1: <laughs> so Chianti. you can see that, like,
2: <laughs>
1: given that Bloodborne's all obsessed with eyes, it would make sense for the them to start worshiping crows. These things that are consuming the eye, and then when you go to Canehurst which is, like, connected to Hemwick. That also has this crow motif with the armour where the the helmets they're wearing are sort of stylized after like a beak.
3: Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. And then the Thumerians, when you go into the chalices, the the more important ones, they have big feathered sort of cape um, collars and things. So they really have a thing for crows, I'm guessing, because of the eye connection. And then, of course, there's the wet nurse, who has gigantic crow wings, yeah.
3: What nurse is she's? Uh, I would like to look deeper in her because she's got some. She's got some very yeah. cool aesthetic going on. There's a lot going on with that that I like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I actually, you know, I, Obviously, there's the bloody crow, Kanehurst and um, he's always a bit of an oddity. I mean, mm. in my head, I consider that that's just who Brandon ended up being, even though that's not
1: ever. Yeah, said probably. It, his name. Yeah.
3: But I figured, you know, that's probably what they retooled him to be because his, you know, the gear was supposed to be Brandon, bleh, Brandon's bloody gear and he's, you know, his gear is covered in blood and he's called the bloody mm. crow of Cainhurst. Yeah. So I do think that's interesting, which makes me wonder if rather than him being a hunter of hunters, maybe he was like, oh, hey, you've got a crow costume. Gimme. <laughs> it's like peak aesthetic can just stole it from someone. Um, but it- I never did make the connection with the feathers in the Thumerians, but it does make a lot of sense. There's a lot of very cool design stuff going on with Bloodborne. Yeah, I feel yeah. like they couldn't quite I feel like some of it there was stuff that they wanted to do but they didn't quite weren't quite able to do it.
1: Do you get the feeling also that like this was the first game that they worked on where they could actually get really nice nice uh, cloth physics going on? So they just sort of went overboard with like overlapping fabric and feathers and things.
3: Yeah, which I don't blame them. I mean, you can do it. Go for it, man. Yeah. Because um, it looks fantastic. And I am very picky about fabric in video games, because I, I remember <laughs> the good old days of Vampire the Masquerade Bloodline, when my skirt would regularly just hike up over my torso, and I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> good old days. <laughs> Because I know that the um, in Dark Souls 3, there's the wizards that kind of have a crow thing going on, but I feel like that's a little bit more Plague Doctor witchy.
1: There actually like is a Plague Doctor from Dark Souls 3 that isn't used, so it's probably like something to do with that, yeah.
3: See, I wish they would have... I really liked the, their design, but also that that yeah. was just so big, it never looked good on anything, so I never got to use it as much as I wanted. Because I like big hats, but that was that was a lot. It was a lot of hat. Was, I don't think I can handle that much brim, personally. <laughs> it's just like you're trying to go shopping and you really don't want to talk to anybody, and you want to maintain social distancing. So just yeah. put on that big ass hat. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dahlia.
0: Richie, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Yeah, I guess the other big from connection to crows and ravens is Armored Core. In Armored Core, you're the raven. They always address you as raven, even regardless of the name that you enter. And, um... They make a big deal out of the, the faction that you belong to are called the Ravens. And they have this hugely stylized Raven emblem that they put on everything. And your hub area is called the Raven Nest. And uh, the intro of, I think it's Armored um, Corps 3, it actually starts with this big... Like, this shot is of a Raven going over this, like, war-torn mech battlefield, sort of hopping around, looking at all these dead robots. And They make the point that, like... They're called the Ravens because they're, like, picking over a battlefield because they're a company of mercenaries.
3: Yeah, I was going to say that. That is a very popular uh, motif
2: in mythology and pop culture, which is Mm. very cool. And then, of course, oh, I did forget one thing. There's the giant crow that takes you from the
3: asylum, but I don't know if I have anything to add about that. (laughs) People think that's Velka. I don't know.
0: Um, I don't think so.
3: I don't really either. I I feel like it's just a it's just a thematic device. Yeah, same. Kind of why I forgot about it. And I was like, I feel like we should say something (laughs) or someone's going to be like, well, actually, you didn't talk about the giant crow from the beginning of the first one. (laughs)
1: Um, I'm sure sure they will anyway.
3: Yeah, probably. And I'm sure someone will probably get mad at me because I forgot Odin's first crow's name, Raven's name. Because I couldn't read my own writing. At least I got the Mugen run right. I remember that. <laughs> Anyways, I just thought I'd mention that before we got. Oh, to hang more. on! I like, oh f- shit! I found, giant the, crow. Uh,
1: <laughs> found the Armored Core Three Crow intro where there's a crow on like a <laughs> ruined mech.
3: Ooh, ooh, uh, and that actually does kind. Of, I mean, I mean that's a very vague. I mean, that's very. Uh, I can't tie it to what I'm going to say because. That is very common uh, imagery, but there is a story uh, about kukalin about his death in uh, Celtic mythology. That uh, basically, when they killed him, none of them would touch his body until the Morgan appeared as a crow on him. So, but
1: do you want to um, of- just clarify who kukalin is for people listening?
3: Yes, Cucailen uh, is a hero of Celtic mythology. He's it's hard for me to equate him with someone specifically, other than like he's kind of like Theseus and Hercules, and the fact that he mm. is a mythical hero who was kind of involved in the most ridiculous cattle raid I've ever heard of in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, he's a bit like the Hulk. He was, uh, I believe, he was like a partial deity, he was like a demigod. And basically, he would get very angry and he would literally Hulk out very much like the Hulk. And he was kind of impervious. (laughs) And uh, throughout his journeys, he had a couple of times uh, kind of insulted and scorned the Morrigan. And she kept warning him like, hey, you know, do this for me or you're going to die. And of course, he didn't listen. And uh, pretty much after, you know, he had his final battle and he was finally bested. Uh, and he was so badly hurt; he pretty much had to strap himself to a pole to hold himself up and hold his sword.
2: Wow! And
3: the people that—yeah, was, it was—it was pretty intense. Um, Celtic mythology can get pretty metal sometimes. Yeah. And um, uh, the the people that had killed him would not touch his body until the Morrigan appeared as a raven that landed on the post, and then they chopped his head off.
2: Oh wow! Yeah.
1: I remember the crow in Dark Souls too. Literally just that second.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's it's um, ornifex. Yeah. She's just oh, one of yeah. the crow people from one and they, they just repurpose the model.
3: I mean that seems very on brand for a crow, like, yeah. hey I've got shiny things, do you want them?
1: Yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> yes. The the crows you trade items with. Yeah. Do <laughs> we never see them? Yeah. Yeah, the most important crows in the series. They're just never shown <laughs> on camera. Yeah.
0: What is it that they say?
1: One is give me warm, give me soft. Three is give me sparkly, give me twinkly. But then the one in two, for some reason, it sounds like the Swedish chef from the Muppets. And it says, like, <laughs> hey, that's like, give us smooth, give us soft. Give hmm. us smooth, give us silky. Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah, silky. I forgot and you, When you give it
1: silky, it goes, yah yeah, yeah. yeah. like as you were um, saying that's that's like a crow thing like collecting shiny things yeah Uh
3: they very much uh they very much collect shiny things and uh like i said earlier if you befriend a crow they will often bring you gifts and things they're very smart like that and even one woman uh who had been taking care of animals actually received crow art These crows had, like, laced twigs or something through, like, pop can tabs and, like, gave it to her. And they were, like, two identical, like, little art pieces that these crows made for her. It was really adorable. That's
0: wonderful. Earlier, you mentioned that crows are really good at mimicking human speech.
3: Yes,
2: indeed.
0: Then Rich mentioned that there are a bunch of crows that follow him around.
1: Are we talking to a flock of not I don't like where this is going.
0: <laughs> so, how do we know that the Richie we're talking to right mm-hmm. now is actually Richie
3: and not one of those crows? Well,
1: that's true. That's true. You don't-
3: Well, if it was one of those crows, um, we would be having a much better conversation. No, I'm kidding. Mm. <gasps> oh, um- <laughs> shit! <shade! laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: I'll
1: lift, up, I'll lift up the cat, and then you'll know it's me. Okay. <laughs> she doesn't want to meow.
0: Oh my god, it's not Richie. It's not Richie.
1: <laughs> the cat is yeah, scared of, the she is frightened of crows.
0: <laughs> He's making his It's not Richie because because Ingrid would have meowed. Whenever Richie moves, she meows. Dahlia, get your team. things, we're getting out of here.
3: I'm <laughs> run, just picturing run, two crows lifting a cat up and it's just like what's
1: going on? <laughs> That was crows in From Software with special guest Dahlia, crow witch expert. Dahlia, where can people find you on social media?
3: You can find me at twitter.com, at DarkSideDahlia's, and on YouTube at darkside.
0: Thank you for coming, Dahlia. This was very informative
3: and very on point. Thank you for having me. If you need me to talk about any other birds that eat dead people, I am always game. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> thank you.
0: Um, well, yeah, thank you for coming, Dahlia.
3: Thank you for having me. Thank
0: you for coming, crows who are dressed as, like, a human by wearing a coat. It's like two crows standing on one each other wearing a coat and a hat.
1: Do you know what I'm actually wearing, seriously? What are you wearing? I'm wearing a t-shirt with the formal certain Rune on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh
3: boy. No. This is all it's all coming together now. <laughs> this was a conspiracy and I'm so glad I got to be a part of it. Woo <laughs>
0: Okay, well thank you for, thank you for listening, of, of course. My-
3: It is always a pleasure to get to speak with you, Sin. And it was so good to finally talk to you, Richie. Yeah, thank you so much, yeah.
0: Oh, oh, Dahlia, since you're our guest, and I keep forgetting about this, so I just add code words in the end on screen, but would you like (laughs) to pick a code word for for today's podcast?
3: Um, let's make it, uh, you should make it Caw. C-A-W.
2: Perfect.